Good morning. Uh, I've never been down at Southwest Harbor, and it was a nice journey this morning from Waterville. And uh, I thank my brother Blake for the opportunity to share from God's Word with you this morning. And I might say that I'm quite impressed with your assembly here, and it's a wonderful thing. Before we begin, I know it's not in the text that I was going to... If you'd open your Bibles to Numbers, I'm reading from the New American Standard. I'm a diehard. Uh... Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. Uh, Keep in mind, as we read along, that this is the inerrant, inspired, infallible word of Almighty God. I fear that in the day in which we live, it gets relevant, it gets, the Bible is just another book that we're supposed to read, but it's the eternal word of Almighty God spoken to each and every individual here. So I'm going to read it and you can kind of go along with me and in Numbers twenty three nineteen, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. I love this part. Has he said? And will not do it? Or has he spoken? And will he not make it good? Those are his words. Words from... So keep that in mind as we go along and we're going to be looking at John chapter 3, excuse me, John, <laughs> I have that in mind, uh, John chapter 6, well, I have it written down, so I have, these are my brains, you get to me my age and you need brains, <laughs> 81. Although, I'm not the oldest one here. I learned that this morning. I learned that there's someone older than I am. Believe it or not. Well, the title of this morning's message is taken from John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40. 
Now, I have to apologize because something happened to me yesterday that makes my little throat scratchy. So, or I might be a little raspy, but that's not part of the message. I'm not, con- I, I, I don't think I can contaminate anyone, but my prayer is that the Word of God would contaminate us would contaminate us. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank You that You have drawn us here this morning that we might come into Your presence For we do acknowledge, Father, that You are here. We desire to worship You with all of our heart, strength, and mind. For You are the One who spoke all things into existence. You are the One that has given us life. Oh God, may it be that only your word would be heard and encouraged each one here. We thank you and we praise you in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. (coughs) The the coughs and whatever don't go along with it. Well, in John chapter 6, I don't know about you, but sometimes when we read over the Bible, we read verses and we just don't seem to camp in on them, to to dig deep into them. Maybe you do. So my question is, are you a person who knows that you need to believe in God's Word, and yet you fail miserably in times of testing, in times of trouble, and in times of temptations. It is because our tendency is to look for worldly ways in dealing with those situations causing us to be, as James says, double-minded as we lean on our own understanding, which Proverbs tells us not to do. What causes these uncertainties is an all-too-real certainty of the remaining sin in our life. And I might add that the, not sure what it was called, the prayer of confession or whatever that is in the bulletin. Wonderful, wonderful. Praise God. Well, the problem isn't that God does not speak plainly, but that He speaks such incredible promises 
and commandments that we find them hard to believe in times of these testings. I know I have this problem when the Lord Jesus said that to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow Him. Denying self, we must admit, is not easy. But that's what we're called to do. So what are we left to do in these times of uncertainty? We need to take, to take the Bible seriously, specifically in regard to God's amazing Amazing promises. Part of our problem is that we tend to believe only those promises that can be logically explained. But the Bible teaches that there are irrevocable eternal promises that Almighty God has declared. But what does the Bible say about those irrevocable, eternal promises that God has declared? Here I go with my logic. (laughs) The first thing we need to understand about these irrevocable promises that are eternal is that they began in eternity. Now, that's a problem for us. We go, we're we're locked in time and space. But eternity, there is no time, nor is there space. In eternity, there was a promise made between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit concerning the redemption of an unworthy, sin-ruined people, just like you and I. Steve Lawson has said that, quote, divine sovereignty in salvation involves each of the three persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three work in perfect unity to rescue the same undeserving sinners. Within the Trinity, there is only one saving purpose, one saving plan, and one saving pursuit. While all three are involved, they don't have different agendas, you might say. So as we look at verse 37 of John 6, and also verse 38, we're kind of given a little hint of this promise between the Father and the Son. Listen to what verse 37 says. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Notice that the verb will come speaks of a future promised gift. The promise is a love gift to be given 
to Jesus as a reward for his suffering in perfect obedience to the Father's will. Now hear what Jesus says in verse 38. He said this, he said this to you and I. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus promises perfect obedience to the Father's will when he puts his human will in subjection to the Father's will. We see the love of the Father that he has for the Son who perfectly obeyed the Father. In John 10:17 through 18 it says Jesus says this Here's the reason For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life and that I may take it again no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received, this is Jesus speaking, this commandment I received from my Father. Do we receive any commandments from the Father or the Son? So in order to get the full weight of this promise, let's examine the promise made by the Father to His only begotten Son. Did you notice what verse 37 did not say? It did not say, all that come to me, the Father gives me. It doesn't say that, does it? But what it does say is, all that the Father gives me will come to me. We do not, nor cannot, give ourselves to Jesus, but the Father must first. Take the initiative, as we will see. And let's not pass over verse 36. Notice what Jesus said to those that were present. And by the way, to each one of us. He said this, But I said to you, that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. Let this be a warning to us. There may be some here this morning that have heard they have a condemning sin nature and are separated from God for all eternity, but have only agreed with these truths only here in the mind, only here 
We know it. We've heard it preached. We know it. But they only have agreed with these truths in their minds and do and and done whatever a preacher said they need to do if they want to be saved. These same ones even have heard that Jesus Christ paid the ransom price to free them from the bondage of sin. They also know that the redemption price was His precious blood that ran from His veins as they nailed Him to the cross. But they are only trusting in what they have done or even all the righteous and religious acts that they are doing. Jesus knows our heart. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. And if some of these things describe you, then the promises are not for you because you're still in your sin. That's serious. Very serious. We talked about the the wrath of God. Who can describe the wrath of God that abided on us? So as we continue to examine the promise by the Father to the Son, it's probably necessary to begin first with the Father's choosing the promised gift for His obedient Son. Let's consider when the Father chooses the promised gift to His Son. When do you think? God's inspired and errant eternal word tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 that it was in eternity when the Father chose His gift to be given to His Son. Hear what is spoken to us in this verse. Just as He, God the Father, chose us in Him, God the Son, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Keep in mind that (laughs) we're not going to be able to get our mind around this because we cannot even begin to conceive of eternity. I don't suppose that God one day sat down and He said, Hmm, I wonder who I will choose. No, no, no. His plan is eternal. It has no beginning and no end. Yes, this is an unfathomable truth. Only if we know and admit our corrupt, sinful natures. That's a hard thing to do. Oh, I made a mistake. No, it's more than a mistake. We sin against a holy and righteous God. 
the Creator, the one who gives us life. Knowing our unworthy condition, why do you think the Father chose whoever He wanted to be the promised gift to His Son? And God answers that question in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 8, where He says, that it was by His grace, His grace. Keep in mind that grace does not depend on what we would do. God did not look down the corridor of time and to see that, oh, so-and-so, oh yes, He will believe. No, no, no. No, no, not at all. No, uh, grace is what we even could do. Grace is even what we have done, what we have not done. It doesn't depend on what we have done. So the bottom line is that if anyone is depending on anything about themselves to be good enough to be included as part of the gift to the Son, think of that. Think of it. Does anyone think that they are in such good position that they should be included? Well, if we think that, we're being deceived by ourselves or someone else, and we cannot be part of the Father's chosen gift to the Son. In addition, God's word to us in Ephesians, again, chapter 1, verse 5, makes it extremely plain, very plain, that it was only according to the kind intention or good pleasure of His will that anyone is chosen. It's not our pleasure, nor is it our will. Speaking of God's will, there are three senses in understanding His will. There is the decretive will of God that sometimes is described as the sovereign, efficacious will by which God brings to pass whatever He pleases by His divine decree. We have an example of that in Genesis chapter 1, when God said, let there be light. And there was light. There had to be light. There must be light, because God spoke it into existence. And then there is the preceptive will of God that relates to the revealed commandments in His Word, such as we see in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. 
He says that thou shall have no other gods before me. Do you realize that when God saved you, He saved you unto obedience to His Word. Not to our own whims and wishes and so forth. And then there is the permissive will of God. That usually means that God simply just lets it happen. For instance, wherever you're sitting this morning, that was whatever you wanted to do. He just let you do it. So the sense of His will in the choosing of the promised gift was not His preceptive will, nor His permissive will. But it was His sovereign decretive will, meaning that it must come to pass. It was His divine action alone that chose His promised love gift for His obedient Son. So we've seen when the Father chose the gift and we see why He did it. But now let's look at who, who the promised gift to the Son is to be. And that's back to 37 again. That verse identifies the who as all that are to be included in the Father's gift to His obedient Son. Now, the word all does not include everyone, but encompasses every radically corrupt sinner who has ever been chosen by Almighty God for His good pleasure. Ask yourself this question. If you are genuinely born again and you know that, ask yourself this question. You know who you are, who you were. Why should God have ever chosen you or me? Why? Did we deserve it? I don't know about your life before you were saved, but I would have to say absolutely not. Absolutely not. I am just a filthy, rotten sinner. And I do not deserve ever to be included in the gift to your son. I don't know how you'd answer that question. But that's the way I would answer it. So not everyone is included. And according to God's timetable, after hearing what we call the outward call of the gospel preached, by the way, somewhere in your life you heard the gospel preached at an evangelistic meeting in a church somewhere, but you did hear the gospel preached. 
So there's that outward call that is preached. The Holy Spirit then regenerates those chosen by God for salvation through an inner, an inner, inner, inner call. And that changes the once hostile, indifferent disposition of our hardened hearts to a heart of trust and obedience to God. The outward call is to whoever will call on Jesus Christ at the preaching of the gospel. And that is everyone who has been given ears to hear the gospel by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Think back to when you were saved. I know after my wife was saved, she came home and she said, Something happened. Something happened. And I know that when I was first saved and someone pointed me to Jesus Christ, all of a sudden I said, the Bible, it's true. It's true. Wow. uh, It was a change. I don't know about your life when you think back perhaps in the time when God saved you, that something happened. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 39, it says there, For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off. Get this. As many as the Lord our God shall call to Himself. But the inward call is the inaudible voice of the Holy Spirit opening up the heart and mind of all those that the Father has chosen to respond to the gospel preached, as Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says. How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? When those have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, after hearing and responding... To the inner call, in the inner call, it's not here or up there, it's it's in here. You know what he does that time? You didn't have faith to believe. But you know what the Spirit of God does? He gives you and me the faith to believe. He gives it to us. He gives it to us. And He also gives us the ability to repent from our sin. 
Excuse me. Why does he do that? Because it was given to them, to us, by the Holy Spirit at regeneration. Regeneration, you could say, means born again or born from above. The work of the Holy Spirit. So we've seen that in eternity the promise of the Father was to be a love gift to His obedient Son. And that promise gift concerned the redemption of radically corrupt sinners according to the kind intention of the Father's will and His good pleasure. Figure that one out. And now we'll consider how the Father's chosen gift will be given to the Son. Let's look at our favorite verse, 37. Jesus said, All shall or will come to me. The promise that the Father made to the Son began in eternity and will be carried out fully in time. 1 John chapter 2, verse 25 tells us, And this is the promise, which He Himself, that's pretty emphatic, isn't it? That He Himself made to us eternal life. Every radical sinner the Father has chosen, will, will be given to the Son because by His grace He has decreed it. And therefore, their salvation must come to pass. Must. Because it's His decretive will. But the big question is how? How do those chosen sinners come to Christ? How did we come to Christ? Again, in the inspired and inner word of God, it tells us. Every question we ever have, it, God tells us. If we look at, in the same chapter 6, in verse 44, it tells us how. They come when Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Remember now the difference between the words may and can. Big difference. May speaks of permission. And can speaks of ability. So Jesus says that no one can, meaning that no one has the ability in themselves to come to Jesus. No one. Jesus uses another word in that verse. And the word is unless. 
which speaks of a necessary condition before anything or something can happen. Jesus continues to explain what that necessary condition is before anyone can come to him. He said in verse 44, Unless the Father who sent me draws him. So in addition to the Father choosing before the foundation of the world those who will be saved, he must also take the divine initiative to draw those chosen to Christ. Why? He has decreed it. The word draw can be interpreted either drag or compel. Now that's, those words sound pretty hard, pretty hard. But the word used here is not a hard word, but the word that can mean an action that cannot, cannot be resisted. And thus refers to God's irresistible grace. How beautiful it is. How humbling it is. Isn't it humbling? Isn't it humbling that God should choose you or me? So those chosen by the Father Father and given to Jesus, Jesus now promises, here goes another promise. He promises them in verse 37 and 39 and he, that He will not send them away nor refuse to save them. And they will never, ever, ever be lost. And He promises them that He will raise them up on the last day. If we look at those verses 37 through 40, we'll see the word will keeps popping up. The promise of Jesus is all about the will of the Father. We see that in verses 38, 39, and 40. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Now Jesus explains the Father's will in verse 39. Hear what He says. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that of all that He has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. Oh, but when we come to verse 40, this is, it's the capstone of this text. And hear what it is. For this, Jesus says, is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. 
In other words, the one who comes is the one who was chosen and drawn by the Father and who beholds, notice that, beholds Jesus Christ and believes in Him. Now, the word beholds means a spectator who looks at a thing with interest and for a purpose, usually indicating the careful observation of details. It's not just a passing fancy or an idle curiosity. No, no, no. You can't broad brush who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for each one of us. Example of that might be for when we go shopping for a car, for instance. We go to dealer number one and we go up and down all the vehicles. Oh, and then we see one. Oh, it looks okay. Mm. The tires look okay. Let's look under the hood. Looks clean. How many miles does it have? How many owners does it have? How many miles per gallon does it get? On and on. And on. The good big question is, what's it going to cost me? Hmm. We get all that information. Now we go to dealer number two and three and four and go through the same process. So it isn't just that we grab the first thing that come along. No. Have you examined who Jesus Christ? He is God. God incarnate. But notice in verse 40. It's not enough just to understand who Jesus is, that He is God incarnate, and that He bore the guilt of yours and my sin. We were guilty. We sinned against a holy and righteous, almighty God. His wrath was abode on us. But Jesus was obedient, and He went to the cross. To believe is to be persuaded, and hence to place confidence in and to trust. It signifies a total and complete reliance on the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's not merely a natural emotional or an intellectual credence, as we mentioned before, to the gospel by raising a hand or walking down an aisle or perhaps reciting some prayer. That some preachers might ask, if you want to be saved, this is what you need to do. And probably some that follow that are genuinely saved. But I believe that many walk away that are deceived 
because they have not been regenerated. But it is a conscious, confident, and full persuasion that beyond any doubt at all, that by grace alone, the grace of God alone, through the given faith alone, and through Jesus Christ alone, He has saved you, and you are fully persuaded of it. Why is this necessary to have such an assurance? Because the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, in the first part of 20, verse 22, but get this, but the Scripture has shut up every man unto sin. Why? The verse goes on to explain that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. It's here. It's in there. It's in there. Remember our discussion about the words can and may? But now notice in verse 40. Did you notice a difference? The word is not can anymore. It's may. It's may. In verse 44 that we looked at, no one had the ability to come to Jesus. But those the Father had chosen and the Holy Spirit had regenerated. Not only have ability, but now they can also have the permission to claim the promise of salvation. And notice that Jesus is very, very emphatic when He says, I myself will raise His promised gift up on the last day. The last day is in relation to the to an extreme future time. It's a comprehensive term that includes both the time of the resurrection of the redeemed. Think of it. You who are genuinely saved. Wow. You will be resurrected. But it's also the final time of the judgment of those unregenerate at the great white throne of judgment who have been trusting in themselves for salvation. And on that final day, there will be a final day. Where will you be? Will you be praising God for forgiving your sin and rejoicing in your promised resurrected body in the presence of your beloved Savior? Or will you be at the great white throne of judgment where you are judged for your unforgiven sin 
by the holy, righteous creator of the universe. And you'll hear him declare you guilty. And you will hear him condemn you to be cast into the pit of hell. Yes, there is a hell. There is a burning. There is a hell. These are among the most blessed, irrevocable promises in Scripture to those who know for certain. It's not a feeling. It's a settled and persuaded fact that the Spirit of God gives to you. And that fact is that you know that you belong to Jesus Christ and you're just waiting for that glorious, guaranteed fulfillment. However, if you're not sure, if you're not sure, if you're not fully persuaded, If you're not sure of these things that were spoken today from His Word, but you find yourself strangely, strangely being moved in here, in here, that, my friends, is the Spirit of the living God. And you need to respond. Not by raising your hand, not by walking the You need to say, yes, Jesus. Because it's a gift that's been given to you. Don't be like those that the Savior mentions in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 23. Not, he says, this is what Jesus said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, you know what his will is. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform miracles? And now listen to what Jesus said. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We can be involved in a lot of good works. And we can rely on that. But it's not good enough. It's not good enough. Are you persuaded? Do you really believe? Or do we just pick and choose what we're going to believe from the Bible? Because we're going to get something from it. Well, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our God and Father, Your ways are unsearchable, unfathomable, 
But we thank you, Father, that you did not leave us here alone. That you came to indwell us. We confess, Father, that there are many times in our life that we walk around without acknowledging the fact that you live within us. And not only that, Father, you have given us your word that is, it is forever and ever and ever settled in heaven. It will not change. It is immutable as you are. We ask, Lord, this morning, as you search hearts, that if there be any here that a struggling with these truths that they're not sure they're confused Lord we ask Father that you would make it so very very plain and we give you thanks and all the praise because Lord you are so past finding out And Father, I would ask that if there be any here that that are struggling, that they're not sure that things are happening to them and how can it happen? Because where are you, God, in these times of testing? I ask, Father, that if there be any here this morning that are struggling, that they would seek out Pastor Brown or one of the elders here, that they might come to the place of persuasion and to put aside all the things that confuse. And we ask it in the precious name of our Savior, the one who bore the guilt of our sin on the cross. We are saved by His death, yes, but we are saved by His righteous life. We thank You and we praise You in His name. Amen.